Welcome to another episode of the Eagle Perspective. I'm really excited about this one today. I'm here with our head of schools, Rod Gilbert, and you're going to get to hear from him. Rod, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit nervous. You know, we've talked to other people around campus, but I mean, you're you're like the head of the school, and we couldn't we couldn't be more grateful for you spending some more time with us. So thank well, you. I'll try to make you a little more nervous as we okay. go on. Yeah, even even that question, my heart rate just elevated up a little bit. So <laughs> uh, so far, so good. Well, well, look, the purpose of today is is really just for people who are in our community or interested in our community to hear a little bit about who you are, um, mm-hmm. the background, and uh, and and really your heart for the school. So. Um, I'm actually just going to start with that. Could you could sure. you share a little bit about uh, your background, how you came to Santa Fe, and your heart for Christian education? Thank you for asking. Um, so Angie and I both grew up in North Carolina and met in college and married there, and then I, we went off to seminary. And uh, we both grew up in Christian homes, but and we were both public school kids. Like all of our friends, uh, when we grew up as children, were we were all public school kids. But we both grew up in church. Uh, we did not even imagine Christian education until Katie was probably three years old and Ryan was just an infant. And there was a wave of homeschooling families in our church and around us in seminary that were looking at that. And we really started pursuing that while I was finishing seminary. And honestly, we just realized we're not, we're not homeschool people. And um, even though we were public school kids, We caught a vision for Christian education really through a group of people in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina that started teaching us about it. It was just all new to us. And uh, I'll I'll never forget living in that little town and uh, mine and Angie's heart being won over to the idea of Christian schooling for our own children. And it, it forevermore changed our lives. All four of us will never be the same because of it. So you talked about how, how you got your kids into Christian education, but yeah. how about for you as a vocation? Yeah, it really intertwines. When Katie was about three and a half years old, I was working as an administrator at our seminary, and we were creating a, a college program. And I was, like a, I was like the assistant registrar of the seminary. It was just a job while I was taking classes. And one of the Uh, Vice presidents took me out to Chick-fil-A. I think I was probably 26 years old. And he took me out to lunch and gave me a bunch of books on education. And over Chick-fil-A, he said, Rod, a group of us are going to start a new Christian school here in Raleigh. And I want you to help us. And I thought he meant like the accreditation stuff or some of the administrative Mm -hmm. stuff. So my first answer was, (laughs) I don't want to work with I don't want to work with kids all day. (laughs) <laughs> I, I did that. I did that as a youth pastor. I want to go get a PhD in church history, you know, something like that. And he said, "No, you're not. You're built to work with kids." And uh, Dr. Puckett saw something in me when I was 26, 27 years old that I didn't see. And over the over several Chick Fil A sandwiches, he actually uh, hired me to help him create a little Christian school in Raleigh, North Carolina, called Trinity Academy. And so it was a true experiment for Angie and I to think, well, I'm going to be teaching classes at a brand new little high school, with 23 kids, history and Bible and um, literature, and then helping create the school. So I was named the assistant head of a founding school when I was 27 and teaching all morning. And it was a true startup from scratch. 
and it was a pure experiment. And the experiment was Rod's going to teach in the morning, like AP classes, AP history. And then I'm going to do a lot of the administrative stuff in the evenings. And uh, had I known how hard it was going to be to create something out of nothing, I, I wouldn't have done it. But I was young and foolish and um, it worked. And uh, after two years of that experiment, I was 28 years old, maybe 29 by that time. Uh, we grew so fast that I either had to hire away my teaching duties at Trinity Academy or had to hire administrative function. And Dr. through Dr. Puckett and the board, they helped me with hiring out the teachers. And then I, I just kept growing as a young administrator and I still taught some classes on the side. But it was, I tell you, it was a grand experiment in our 20s that Angie and I had no idea what it would turn into. And um, it, it completely changed the trajectory of our lives. I mean, we still think it's funny that my first day in a private Christian school was the one I was creating. And uh, yeah. very humbling. And uh, it's a beautiful school in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm so proud of it. I was only there four years. But it really just changed the whole trajectory of our life as that little experiment. So you mentioned going to seminary and it, it sounds pretty clear. You didn't go to seminary thinking I'm going to be the head of a Christian school. Gosh, no. I mean, my, my idea of the head of a public or private school was probably based on Ferris Bueller's day off, you know, and the principal, you know, um, getting chased out by the dog. I mean, yeah. it's uh, that was my only idea of principles. Yeah, you, you and everybody else. Can we talk about like? Can we have a movie that that maybe represents school administrators as as like kind of cool? Like, is, is it just my bias that every movie the principal is like the adult? You know, I, I had one kid at my school at, in Austin, Texas. Uh, the school's uh, regents had one kid named Ben. And uh, I handed him a diploma on graduation. And then afterwards, he was such a clever young man. He came up to me at graduation and he, he said, Mr. Gilbert, you've ruined me. I said, what? He said, you've robbed me of what every teenager in America has. And I said, what's that been? He said, everybody knows you're supposed to hate the, the principal and find him to be a nonsensical buffoon. He said, you've robbed me of it. We actually really like hanging out with you. And he said, I just feel like you cheated me out of my normal rite of passage. Yeah, but you know what? I, I love it. I mean, we now have Rod Gilbert, <laughs> rebrander of the role of principal. So, yeah, right. <laughs> that's good. Um, so I know, I know, obviously, and, and for many of our listeners, it might be the first time, you know, them hearing that you went to seminary. I know for those did. On, on staff, getting to hear you, you have this very pastoral side of you. And I'm, I'm just going to... I'm going to, I'm going to ruin it a little bit by okay. telling people, you don't want to sit to Rod's right in the meetings. Oh yeah. Speaking because you get called on. That's exactly right. I'm, I'm an actually a trained Baptist minister and uh, my, I have a natural feel in the pulpit like most Baptist preachers do. And uh, I'm not your typical Baptist preacher, but I do, I do need a lot of interaction with crowd. And uh, for some reason, even back in my 20s when I was at Trinity, when I was giving a faculty meeting or even a parent discussion, for some reason, I would just talk to the person nearest to my right hand 
and embarrass them. And so now all the faculty know when they come into the chapel here at Santa Fe, you don't want to sit in the hot seat. It's kind of like the splash zone at um, SeaWorld, you know. Right. I'm going to get something out of that person that's sitting near me. And sometimes people sit there because they want they want it. They want to play around a little bit. And um, it's taken the Santa Fe team a little bit of time to get used to the, used to that sort of style, but I think they like it. Oh, yeah. It's great. Now, that said, I mean, you might notice now that there's a lot more people on the left side of the room. That's true. And, you know, one of the first meetings I had here, everybody was sitting skewed and sort of to the back. And so before I started the meeting, Mike, you might remember my very first meeting after everybody seated in the chapel, I picked yeah. up the little pulpit uh, stand and moved it to the complete opposite side of the room and made everybody flip side. Would you remember that? I absolutely remember it. And, and thankfully <laughs> I was, I was actually immediately to your left. Oh yeah. And, and I didn't, I didn't know at the time how blessed it was that I was on your left, <laughs> but uh, no, that, that was great. Well, and, and you know, you know, you and I were in a zoom recently. I had a hundred and what, there were like 140 of us in the zoom today. And it's yeah. so hard for me to translate that human interactive sort of thing that happens in a group that I, that feeds my energy. It's, yeah. it's, it, I, I'm having a hard time with the whole zoom world. And, uh, every time I'm in the middle of it, I kind of look for a chance for, for people to give me feedback or yell at me or something, but, uh, it, it really makes my heart ache for the children and the teenagers that are, that are having to go through this. It's, it's not yeah. a pleasant experience, but it's something we're doing. And we're going to make the best of it. Yeah, we're, we're all adjusting to that. And uh, yeah. this, this feels like a good time to mention, if you'd like to hear our podcast on remote learning, uh, now would be a good time to check that out as well after you've done oh. this one, um, in which some of our teachers talk a little bit about that, about that challenge. So circling back to, to, to yourself, the idea of, of school and Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of learning and faith. I know for you, there's an intersection of those things that is seamless. Yes. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you might share a little bit your, your philosophy on, on how schools and faith are actually a, a marriage created by God. So I know that my pastor, Mark Foreman, uh, at North Coast, he describes it as, do you have a thin Jesus? So if any of you have ever heard his talk on that, it's a great talk. The way that I would describe it is the way that Angie and I mentored our children, Katie and Ryan, is this, the same I think about education is that a major part of education is teaching the children and teenagers that all of the world is God's world. And so whether we're talking math or science or how to craft a beautiful sentence, anything else, athletics, it's all part of God's created order. And so it, it, to me, there's not like we don't add faith into a math lesson that's sort of an add-on, and some Christian schools, I think, do that, and it feels wonky to the children. To me, math is a universal language that God created, and Christ is the creator of all things, according to Colossians chapter 1. And so what we get to do every day is to explore God's created order and the wonder of his creation with children every day. And we what we want to do is spark an interest in them to go and discover the amazing things that are out there. I mean, every single day we get to awaken their imagination, whether it's through literature or the Fibonacci sequence in mathematics or migration of birds, anything. It's it's this uh, created order that's beautiful 
And the, the way that we did it with our children as well, and I've pushed on it here uh, in my other schools, is I, I don't like the distinction between sacred versus secular. To me, everything is sacred. And so we, we don't want to do our spiritual talk part of the day and then our non-spiritual talk the rest of the day. We want all things to be mentoring the kids and love of the Lord and love of the world that he created. And so to me, that's a, that is the fundamental axiom of why a Christian school has such a unique niche in our world today. I know you use another phrase that, that I've heard you just say a lot about, um, you know, focusing on what's good, beautiful, and true. Yes. Um, how does that impact your leadership and, as well as kind of your vision for the school? So the formula often said by the ancients and by liberal arts people would be, the, let's focus on the true, good, and the beautiful. And so much of our world today, you turn on the news or you listen to the, the hyper-intensity of talking heads and people around the world, they focus on the, the faults, the bad, and the ugly. And it's almost a, a downtrodden spirit that the world accentuates. And so I could teach children or teenagers to avoid the, the faults, the bad, and the ugly. I could teach them how to avoid it. What I do believe is they, if we quicken a children's curiosity and spirit about the true good and the beautiful, it's actually quite lovely. The, the, the way that God's order works is amazing. And so if we point to the beauty of mathematics, the beauty of scientific thinking, the beauty of the scientific method, the goodness of good ethics, of how to treat people kindly. What does it mean that there's absolute truth in the universe? What does it mean that there are facts that we follow? I think if we spend far more time as human beings, as we, the adults on the campus, are, capt are truly captivated by the true, good, and the beautiful, the aroma of our love for the true good and the beautiful, it gets picked up by the children. They see that we're excited about these things and they will, um, as one poet said, they will catch joy from our joy. So there's far more interest in treating the, talking about the things of the true, the good, and the beautiful to win them over to it. Thinking about Christian schools, why are Christian schools so important? Oh, wow. I, I, I think that the uh, COVID-19 crisis that we all adopted in March with a lot of uh, unknowns has made the cause and value proposition all the more important for Christian schools. Our value proposition is stronger than it's ever been. I think that families are looking for a partner that will accentuate their faith in their home while also teaching them reading, writing, arithmetic. And I think that in an age where right now it seems, and this is not new, there's nothing new under the sun, according to the scriptures. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just as it has a different flavor. And, and the flavor of the day is uh, a lot of angst, a lot of uh, psychological heartache. Um, and I would say that we're, in some ways, we're the United States of the offended. Everybody's quickly being offended, and then they want to write about it on social media. And I think that these, these children and teenagers are growing up in a very different digital world than I did. It's, it's like a whole different planet. And training children to learn how to disagree agreeably, to live in harmony, and even work with people that are not like them and are different than them, even have, have different, some different views of them, but learn the common bond of the human experience is a valuable part of Christian education. 
And uh, I think that by teaching the children measured skills, uh, soft skills, what does it mean for a Christian to go out into their vocational world in their 20s into a job that's not even been invented yet? There, there could be new jobs in the next 15 years that we don't have a name for. And so we want to teach the children based on the imago deo, the, the image of God in each one of them is important and valuable and makes them important and valuable in the universe. And when they go out into the world, I want them to see every human being as carriers of the image of God in each person, even if they're not a Christian believer. I want them to go out into the world, whether they're working a law firm or a plumbing company or they're a police officer, whatever it is they do, that they have a sense of humble appreciation for what God's done for them. And they have a humble and kind appreciation for all human beings around them. And and to me, I I think that that needs to be cultivated more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that families are turning more to Christian education now. Well, and we've certainly seen that this summer at our school, right, with, through the pandemic with, with uh, applications and people maybe that hadn't thought about private school or Christian school specifically before suddenly calling and interested. That's right. We, we are, um, because the teachers jumped out so fast in April and May with sort of our first round of remote learning in the pandemic, uh, the reputation of the teachers got out to the city. And this is true for uh, other private schools, Christian and non-Christian. Some of my really good friends run um, non-Christian private schools that do a very good job of it. And so most Christian, most private schools in the county are seeing enrollment growth because you can, as independent private schools, we can we are more nimble and we can move quicker. And uh, we were able to respond faster with the things that we're doing. And, and I think what we drew were Christian families who previously uh, weren't putting the financial investment into it. They didn't see it, and they sort of caught wind of it. And they, besides the, the value of the, the various things that we can do until we all get back to a regular schooling, I think families are catching a vision that, they, that this merging of faith and academics as a singular mentoring model uh, is has become very appetizing to a lot of families and I'm, I'm thrilled to have them it's it's it, they're they're being awakened to something just like Angie and I did when we were when the children were little it never occurred to us to have uh, Christian education as parents we now look back on it as the single most important decision that we made as parents and every time we talk to our adult children about their childhood their Christian school comes up in almost every single conversation every single conversation yeah. Well, I know in my family, that's true as well. And uh, I, I like to give my parents a double thank you because not only did I get to go to a Christian school and graduate from there, but now it employs me. So, <laughs> you know, played, yeah, you're, you're a twofer. Right. You're a twofer. It's played a pretty big role for me, for sure. So talking about SFC specifically, because you've yes. got the chance to be a part of now several Christian schools at a pretty high level. I mean, this is really the third school that you've been involved in leading at the very top. So I'm curious now, after being here for two years and having been at a couple of other Christian schools, what is it about SFC that is distinctive, that stands out to you? Oh, I, I know what that is. I picked up on it even during my interview when we were here over two year, two and a half years ago. And it, Angie and I picked up on it in the, in the quad. One day we were just walking through, and it's all the more evident now that I've been here gainfully employed two years uh, by this uh, fine community. 
there is something that the adults do, the teachers and coaches and the administrators, they, they when they do it well, it's overwhelmingly amazing. And it's sort of this mentoring of the child or teenager's heart that they do exceptionally well. They have a care for uh, the journey of a child through uh, their teenage years. And I notice it because I can see in the eyes of many of the kids that they that they really do kind of yearn to be seen by the teachers. They, they want to be noticed by the teachers, which is not normal for teenagers. I mean, back to my Ferris Bueller thing, you know, what kind of relationship did those students actually have with the teachers? None. And uh, but there's there is there's some schools that I've visited that the teachers were so in love with their subject matter that they forgot to really just enjoy the foibles and journeys of children and teenagers. Those schools have to work real hard to get the teachers to want to relate to the kids. Here at Santa Fe, what I noticed is here in abundance is a love for the kids, a love for the just little bumbling little third grade boys, bumbling little uh, fifth grade girls, little five-year-olds. And, uh, you know, the, the things that teenagers do that is quite infectious and sometimes unnerving. You know, it's like you've got to, when, you, when you're a 17-year-old, you, and I remember being 17, I, I was really one of the smartest people I knew as a 17-year-old. And I would often tire of the adults telling me things. And it's kind of like in the job description of an of a upperclassman to kind of think they're all that in a bag of chips. I mean, I, and I, I adore it when I see it, and it doesn't intimidate me because I remember manifesting it as a teenager. And uh, I, I'm emphasizing that because the teachers that are around the upperclassmen, they like it too. They kind of they roll with the punches when they see it, when they, and they, they identify and step into the teenage life rather than just rejecting or, or telling them to grow up and just sort of preaching at them. There's this sort of relational tone of I'm with you. And it, it's evident. Like I I didn't know I didn't know how deep it was when I interviewed here. But now that I've been here a few years, I see it all the time. And I would tell people, this is when we're at our finest. We do it exceptionally well. It, it is this relationship thing. And you know, you know this. We have talked about this and I brag about the teachers to other people. Rod, as you think about the SFC graduate. And you talked a little bit about this with our teachers this morning, but as you think yeah. about the SFC graduate, you know, let's say let's say there's a student who's going to start here as a preschooler, mm-hmm. and you know, in, in 15 years they're going to be standing on the stage holding their diploma. Mm-hmm. What do you want that graduate to have learned? What's what is the mm-hmm. picture of that graduate? Well, first off, I would say no cookie cutouts. I, I think when I was in my 20s, if someone had, when I was at Trinity, and even my first few years at Regents. If someone had asked me that question, I would have said portrait of a graduate and then would have had a really cool like paragraph or two, like this is what I want every graduate to be like. And as I've gotten older in this ministry, what I've realized is each kid is uniquely made and they're all on a little self-discovery. And uh, what I would want them to do in that self-discovery is... Um, is to, to learn about who they are as, as beautiful individuals in the eyes of Christ and that they're unique and that they have their own little, their own sort of unique special giftings that are similar to their mom and dad and not similar to their mom and dad. And I helping kids and 
teenagers grow into that robust 18-year-old is such a beautiful thing because what, what happens when they graduate that we've, we have formed them to some extent and helped them and partnered with their mom and dad, but they're on the front end of an amazing adult journey and they have no idea how wild it's going to be. And uh, so if I did have to, if I narrowed it, if you, if you were to come by my office, Mike, on my wall, I have, I think about 30 post-it notes under a little sheet of paper that I just stuck on the wall called SFC Graduate. And I just started putting up sort of words that help me think about the SFC graduate. Um, so here, here's, here's something that I've been working on in my mind. I don't have it fully formed. But knowing that there's a, the, the vocational market is ever-changing, uh, jobs are going to be invented that haven't been invented yet. Um, these, these students are digital citizens, way, way more sophisticated in the digital world than I am. I, re- I really think that graduates should, I-, I would love for every graduate to have the characteristics of an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs know how to fail and recover, fail and recover, try new things, fail and recover. And there's, there's a sort of robustness in the entrepreneurial mind that I think will serve them well in their 20s and 30s. I think entrepreneurs have to be creative. They oftentimes create something out of nothing. I think entrepreneurs have a distinct ability to allocate resources and get creative with limited resources. So there, there's something beautiful about the picture of the entrepreneur that's really been on my mind the last year as far as the portrait of a graduate here. I think it also fits nicely with our business project that all the seniors do that we've been doing for more than 15 years. So I think there's something beautiful about it being this risk-taking, robust, resilient person that jumps into their 20s seeking new adventure and not just phoning in to get a regular job to pay some bills. So what you're saying is it's not just my picture on your wall that you point to and say, I, what a great I, want, I want everybody to be like, my, in fact, I wake up every morning and I look and I, and I do this, like that Saturday Night Live guy. You know, people don't go to people like you, and you're going to be like Mike Siciliano when you grow up. No, you, you and I both do that every morning. So that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are some pretty inspiring ideas. What does it mean as far as as where SFC is headed in the future? I mean, for hmm. someone who's who's been here for a long time, or for someone who may be thinking about jumping into our community, what can we expect over the next several years? Now that I've, I've been here two years, I think that, uh, you know, we, we did a lot of focus group work on where's the future going to go with sort of a relaunching of our strategic plan. All that got put on hold in March. And the, the board and I have been rekindling those documents, all those focus group things. And, and I, think, I think over the next six months, nine months, we're going to see a rehashing of our strategic plan. I do think that there'll be a, a refining of our curriculum not, not major changes, just sort of advancing. And I've been sharing some of those ideas with the faculty recently. I do think that every private school will have some kind of digital footprint that's more noticeable in three to five years. Here, here's a prophetic thing. I'm not much of a prophet, I'm more of just a practitioner. But I, I think that if a private school does not have some type of distinct digital footprint in the educational space in three to five years, they'll be extinct in 10 years. So we have an opportunity 
to uh, ask the question, what does it mean to have our on-campus world as Santa Fe Christian, which I think is going to continue to be strong and robust because of the the face-to-face mentorship thing that's just so beautiful. But I also think there's going to be some type of uh, digital online online connection. I just don't know what that is. And uh, I'm going to look to other people to help me with that over the next couple of years. And we'll just see where it goes. I've had some families say, could you do it this fall? Could you just start a whole online thing this fall with the teachers? And the answer is no, because to launch a real online presence like that takes a lot more time, a lot more thought. And uh, it, it, it would have been presumptuous to think that we could radically change into an online format in the last four months during a pandemic. I think that would be uh, fraught with problems. And uh, so we're doing enough to do the things we need to do. And then we're taking a lot of notes about what what works. And we'll have a team of people that are going to dream this out with us. Like, where does this go? You know, how do we reach more people with this eagle mindset in the coming years? beyond our our, uh, physical footprint on the 18 acres. Rod, what makes a great teacher or a coach or a mentor? I mean, you mentioned that that's a a unique part of Santa Fe. What is it that makes a great teacher or a great mentor? That's a great question. I Obviously, they've got to have their subject matter. But I tell you what, I've met a lot of subject matter people that just don't like being around the children, the, the age group. Here, here's what here's one thing that does stand out when I see an amazing teacher. They like spending all day with 14-year-olds. They like spending all day with 12-year-olds. There's just something funny about that. And you can't fake it. If, if a teacher really doesn't like being around pubescent seventh grade boys who sweat too much and then spray acts on their bodies, and if a teacher doesn't really find the humor of that silliness, the kids see them as a poser from day one. But there's something beautiful when a teacher just likes whatever age group we've given them. Like there's something about the kindergarten teachers that they just love five-year-olds. And it's a beautiful thing. Like I, I, I could not spend all day with a group of five-year-olds. They, they would overtake me. And, uh, but our kindergarten teachers love that. Second thing is giggles and amusement. I'll tell you what, God invented humor And when teachers take everything so seriously, we're all struggling with where does this society go and how do we handle this current event? What do we do with this? And how do we handle this worldview issue? You know, the teachers that really attract the hearts of children are the teachers that have a little self-deprecating humor. They can laugh at themselves. They They can giggle and they can play along with them. I mean... Uh, I was mentored by an amazing man in my young 20s, and he taught me a lot of spiritual things about how to be a minister. But I tell you one thing that he really taught me was how to giggle and laugh at myself and how to laugh at him and with him. And some of my best memories of that mentor was when he was poking fun at himself or we were, poke, we were poking fun at each other or laughing at a funny movie. And there, were, there was something just infectious about that. I mean, I, I really believe this very strongly. I'm confident. In fact, I'm, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I'm pretty confident that Jesus towel-popped the disciples around the campfire. Like, I'm pretty confident. You cannot get a bunch of ragamuffin, redneck, 
fishermen from the first century. I mean, they were rough guys that he recruited into his fold. And I, there's no way they just walked around with little halos above their head all day. I think he probably played practical jokes on him. I'm confident that he did. I just believe that he had an infectious sort of behavior about him. And uh, maybe some other time I'll share a couple of examples that I think are outright humor that uh, preachers have missed for thousands of years. <laughs> Anyways, there's just, there's just something about a little self-deprecating humor and giggles that the kids really, really need. And, and I see it. I see our teachers do it. I mean, my goodness, if Mr. Kim wears one more orange outfit <laughs> and, and just loves orange, it's just, he's just a funny guy. He's an, he's an amazing guy. He is an amazing guy. And he knows how to laugh at himself. I, I'm going to say, I think I just got permission to play practical jokes on the head of schools is what I heard there. Well, you, you know, you, you, you better suit up. <laughs> You're saying it's going to come back. Okay. Uh, yeah. Bring it on. I think because I, th I think institutionally, institutionally, if we adults like playing with each other, I mean, my equivalent was the towel popping. But if we like playing with each other and giggling as adults, the kids notice it. I mean, you can't fake that sort of thing. But yeah. there's a playfulness about it that's uh, very real. And I, I, I mean, just personally, when I first moved here, uh, everybody was so serious, so serious. It's like, oh, I'm the head of school and uh, people would call me, hey boss. And it just it felt funny to, I've, I've realized now that there are people that call me, hey boss. It's it's total endearment and uh, affection, but at first it caught me off guard. I'd never been called boss before. And, uh, but um, about a year ago, after my first year, I started saying, okay, these people actually playing with me and laughing at me sometimes and uh, laughing at my jokes, you know, or laughing at me, I don't care. And I, I, I realized there was, certain, there was a humor thing going on in our team that was becoming more infectious, that uh, it makes it just good to be around. And if we're doing that with each other, it roll, the aroma of that giggliness flows out to uh, the children as well. They, they, they know if the adults like being around each other, and they know if we don't. Rod, I know another thing I've heard you say a lot is that, is that we're a school of God, family, country. What, what does that mean? It's a great question. I, you know, that it, <clears throat> from a school perspective, it's most evident in the uh, fall event where we have all the war veterans come into our gymnasium and the, the students uh, put on an amazing um, array of uh, kind of like a USO show uh, for these veterans that have uh, served our country. And so that's where it's probably the most evident visually. And uh, it's it's so well-pleasing to the soul. And it's it's hard not to, to shed a tear when all those veterans stand and uh, it's a beautiful thing. So that's probably the most visible thing. I think for me personally, um, uh, when I say God family country, it means, of course, we're a God-fearing school. We uh, not only worship the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, we actually believe he, that Christ rose from the dead, and it really, really matters. We're, we're not just a Bible verse on the sign Christian school. We, we really mean that the resurrection mattered, and it matters every day, all day. And when it comes to country, I mean, gosh, we, we live in such an amazing country. The United States is an amazing, it's, it's an amazing country, and uh, it's not perfect. That'd be weird. There's no such thing as a perfect country. Uh, utopian dreams of a nation appearing to be a utopia are just false and not even biblical. 
And uh, so when I when I think about training the children in God, family, country, it, it's a it's a, when I, when it comes to America, it means appreciating the cradle in which you've been born in in this amazing United States of America. Not perfect, and it's got some problems, just like every country has. But I tell you what, there's something beautiful uh, about the country that we can teach the children and help them to appreciate uh, this sort of. Uh, this the impulse of democracy that's here, uh, the systems that are in place here that uh, really are quite beautiful and lovely, and uh, and also knowing that we can always adjust it and make make a few changes along the way, but uh, I do want the kids to understand a love for their country. Speaking of family, our, our school really puts a lot of emphasis on the idea of family, even in our mission statement. Uh, it's about partnering with Christian families. Um, can you talk a little bit about why the family is so important in our community? Oh, it's one of my favorite questions. There, there are three types of schools in the United States, really, if you, if you look at it just from categories. There are public schools that answer to the government. There are religious schools whose authority are like a synod or a diocese or uh, something like that. Or you have an independent private school. We're actually a school that's that's uh, we are we serve families specifically families and the reason that I that I'm so thankful that the whoever wrote the mission statement many years ago for Santa Fe emphasized the partnership with families is theologically my mind goes back to the Garden of Eden uh, one of the first institutions created actually the first institution created was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden I mean from the very founding of the world. The family was seen as an important institution, and so, and I. This is this is a God's honest truth. When I drive on the campus every day, I think these children are here because these parents are choosing to let me partner with them, fulfill their responsibility as the primary educators of these little ones. Now that is so important because Deuteronomy six specifically designates the mom and dad or the parents as the primary educators of their children. It, it is a biblical mandate that moms and dads train their children as they walk, as they lie down, and as they sit. It, it, it's a beautiful picture in Deuteronomy 6, and the school sees itself as a subcontractor under the authority of every mommy and daddy who are the primary educators of the little ones in their home. So we're like the subcontractor that helps them fulfill their responsibility in training up their children the way the world works and in faith and admonition of the Lord. And it doesn't mean that every family comes in and says, well, I don't want my kid to take math. I mean, that, you know, they're, they, they've surrendered some of their rights. I mean, we have restrictions and requirements of how we go about it. But what they've done is they've said, help us raise our children uh, as a school. And so I, I, I do. I, every time I pull into that gate, I think, thank God these, um, these amazing parents have asked us to help them fulfill the biblical mandate of mentoring their little ones into adults. And, and I, I really, that, that just courses through my veins all day long that these parents have chosen this. And I get to be a part of their little lives for a little while. Well, Rod, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today, for sharing your heart, a little bit of your vision for the school, and uh, we really appreciate all the time you've given us. 
Sure, I've loved it. Appreciate you, Mike. You're so much fun to hang out with. And uh, good luck with your uh, the podcast. I'm, I'm sure it's going to bring some good fruit in the future. Hey, look, for me, it already has. I, I now know there's one person that thinks I'm fun to hang out with. So. <laughs> well, your wife told me to say that. Your wife told me to say that. <laughs> she's, she's gracious. She's gracious. Yeah. yeah, you married above yourself. That's for doggone sure. We both yeah. did. We both oh, I know, I know yeah. that. I know that. Thanks to our listeners for listening. Be sure to check out our other podcasts that give you insight into what we do and what's important to us at Santa Fe Christian. And uh, we look forward to hopefully talking with you in person soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.